Welcome into this Five Clubs Conversation. I'm Gary Williams. This week, an in-studio guest, which is awfully nice. Now, I said a couple of weeks ago that he was the most underrated player in the game. I didn't do that to entice him in here. I really meant it because he's done so much in the game, starting at the collegiate level, and now he's a major champion. He's a player's champion. He's been on a number of President's Cup and Ryder Cup teams. I expect him to play at his home course this coming September at the President's Cup at Quail Hollow, uh, and I'm looking forward to this conversation. With that, we welcome in Webb Simpson. How you doing, buddy? Doing good, thank you. Thanks for having me in. Oh, it's good to have you here, uh, repping CCNC, which is very nice. You know, I mentioned Quail Hollow, and it's funny. I, I reached out to you yesterday, gave you the address of the studio, and you texted me at 5 of 6 this morning, and you said, that's great. <laughs> and I, it made me think, like, what was this morning like? For, like, <laughs> what is every morning like for you and Dowd with four kids? Is it organized? Is it chaotic? Uh when Dowd's in charge, it's organized. When I'm in charge, it's chaotic. So when she's not in charge, things are, are loud and messy. Uh, but we basically know at 7 a.m., we'll have five little kids, 10 and under, coming down. So if breakfast isn't ready, the day's going to be, a, you know, it's going to be a long start to the day. So I got to get up early, drink my coffee, read a little bit, just wake up before, you know, the five littles come down. A number of guys have shared this with me about how it, it's really challenging to leave home mm -hmm. once you start to have a family, whereas before, you know, your, your whole life was golf. You, you could practice all day. You weren't feeling like you were missing anything. Mm -hmm. Is it harder for you to leave home now literally every week because of the size of the family and the commitment you have to them? Yeah, you know, and I, and I asked some older guys on tour like Zach Johnson, Ben Crane, Stuart Sink, guys kind of mentored me what it was like. And they all said the same thing, that as the kids get older, it gets harder to leave them. And I think part of that is the kids, you, you develop more of a relationship, a bond with them. So you really, you know, can feel that they miss you, but also their activities. You know, my kids, they're still trying to figure out what they love to do. So we're exposing them to a lot of things, a lot of sports and activities and um, musical instruments and, and all this stuff. And so that part's really hard to not only leave them, but miss out on some of these things. Um, but also, it, as they're getting older, what's been cool is they're getting more involved with following, you know, my golf. And so, you know, they'll check out the app on, on Dowd's phone, <laughs> see how I'm doing. Yeah. Um, they'll ask me why I didn't, you know, top 10 in a tournament just straight up. So <laughs> they have no filter when I get home. Did, um, you know, your parents, Sam and, and Debbie, you had a lot of siblings too. Uh, they didn't have a training manual. You didn't have a training manual. Uh, do you remember how your parents... Uh, were parenting you and and your siblings and have you applied some of that mm -hmm. to your own kids yeah my parents did a phenomenal job you know of i call it that they, they balanced kind of pushing us to work hard and valued um hard work whether it's school sports but also always reminding us hey we love you if you don't want to do this and and focus on this that's okay um so they're very much supporters but also kind of coaches and you know if i have a child who you know, wants to specialize in a sport, I'm going to try to do exactly like my parents did, like expose them to good instruction, put them in the right environment, but also let them kind of, you know, 
grow their own wings and, and sprout and, and thrive like I did. You know, my, my dad was super involved in my golf, but it was like every few years as I got older and better, he would kind of tell me less and less because he felt like he had, you know, taught me so many great things that I was starting to implement. And he was always there just to support. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, when I got in a rut, I got in a rut my uh, second year on tour. I missed, I think, six cuts in a row. Um, and, you know, I had my swing instructor and I could have done this or that. I called my dad. I said, hey, let's go to Pinehurst for three days, just me and you. Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't even work on the range. We just played golf every day and kind of I needed to be reminded of that kid love that I had for the game. Yeah. And I come out of that three days with my dad and I started playing well again. Um, so he had a huge role in my game and, um, you know, forever grateful for for all the things he taught me. You know, both of your parents have talked, have did talk uh, about how hard you worked as a kid. Where was that a product of? I mean, did you see how hard uh, your parents worked at being good parents or was it just something that you think was was inside of you? Well, I definitely think I saw their work ethic in whatever they did was really strong. But I, I laugh. I, I told Dowd recently there was this kid at Coel Hollow. It was 530 at night. Sun was setting. He was still playing golf. He was probably 11 or 12. It was hard to tell. But I said, Dowd, what was crazy is that was me every day starting when I was nine till I graduated high school. I was at the course all day, every day. So I think my parents, I probably got more credit for hard work than I should have because I was out there all day. I just loved it. I couldn't get enough. And my dad was in residential real estate. He built a home at Landfall in Wilmington. Yep. And it was right on the die putting green and or the die course putting green. And so I would literally 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. all summer be out at the course all day. And, and the bag boys were great to me. You know, I was a young kid. They would let me uh, clean members' clubs when they would come in. I'd get a, a dollar or two tip. I felt like I was rich. Um, but, yeah, I just – that was my home. I did not want to go home. I, I wanted to stay at the golf course all day. I had Jack Nicholas on to start the year, and I remember – I was very lucky. I did an interview with him and Nicholas – him, player, Trevino, and Palmer. Oh, it was wow. the last one – it was the last one all four of them were together, and this was – in October of 2015. And it, it was interesting that, that Gary Players said that those two, meaning Palmer and Trevino, loved it more than we did, mm. meaning him and Jack. It's not that they didn't love it, but but those two could play all day, like every day. Right. And you like playing golf. Mm-hmm. When you're not working, yep. you go and play golf with friends, yep. which is not really normal. Right. I mean, there's not a lot of guys like, I mean, who else loves golf like you love golf on the PGA Tour. I, I think I'm one of the one of the few who actually really enjoy the game. It seems like I hear more <laughs> of guys talk about it as their job. Yeah. But from here, I'm going to play uh, 18 holes, actually Charlotte Country Club today. Uh, but yeah, I, I love it. I don't love to practice. I will say that I've had to I've had to you know develop a, pre- a work ethic in hitting balls and chipping and all that. I don't love that. I love playing. I love a match. You know, I've been thinking about this match today for a couple of days like so the kid still is in me uh when it comes to the love of the game which who do I'm you have for. today who are you playing with today so one of my buddies from raleigh's coming up uh-huh. who i grew up playing golf with okay he's got a work meeting here um and we squeezed in 18 holes uh and then two of my buddies live in charlotte one of them turned pro played pga tour latin america for okay. 
a few years. Jonathan Diani played at Elon, uh-huh. uh, and then one of his buddies, Charlie May. So, oh, very nice. We got a pretty even cart versus cart going so far. <laughs> <laughs> your um, the, the whole relationship with your father. Look, I was not an elite player, but I I, I was a decent junior player. My dad took me everywhere, mm-hmm. um, and and I found that I valued the game so much more because it gave me time with him. Mm-hmm. And and you know, I played everything else. But there was something about golf because it meant like really dedicated time with him. Yep. Did you feel that early on with respect to you being there with your father oh, on the yeah. golf course? Yep. I remember a moment when, you know, he'd play with me any day I wanted to, but he always had a regular Saturday game or Sunday afternoon game with his buddies. And I got to a point, I want to say I was probably 12, where I could play their tees and, you know, shoot in the 70s. And I became, you know, I could compete with them. And that when he invited me into that game with his buddies, I knew I was kind of in. Um, but even before that, like you said, my dad, you know, we spent so much time together. He loved taking me to golf tournaments. That was kind of our thing where um, my mom would come too and we'd have a blast. But a lot of tournaments, it would just be me and my father. And um, I think he loved to, to kind of organize it, you know, yeah. buy the plane tickets. I remember this one time, the polo uh, AJGA match play. I knew my dad so well. <laughs> I'm playing Jay Reynolds. I think he went to New Mexico and I'm three down with three to go. And I see my dad on the cell phone in the woods on 16. And I knew he was on the phone with the travel agent booking our flights. <laughs> so it made me so mad. Yeah. So I ended up finishing birdie par birdie in on 17. When I made par Jay made bogey. So I took him to 18. I birdied 18, got in a playoff and I won on the first playoff hole. And my dad comes over all smiles. And I said, don't you ever call the travel agent early. <laughs> He laughed so hard. He goes, how did you know I was on the – I'm like, I, I just know you. Like, you're you're a planner. You want to get out of here. And you thought I was going to lose. Um, how old were you? Like 15? I was probably 15. Yeah. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah. And so he 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 and I had built so many memories around the game. Um, and I owe so much to him for, for just the junior golf. I mean, I, I know now as a father, it's really expensive. Yeah. You know, a lot of time goes into it. And I – you don't realize as a kid how much they have to do and think about. No question. Um, so, did you play father son golf tournaments? We did. You did. Yep. Did you win? I would assume you won some. So the Donald Ross Jr. at Piners Country Club, I always wanted to win. They had the Putter Boy Trophy, same trophy as the North South uh, Jr. Yep. I never won it, but every year. So the practice round was on December 26th. The tournament was the 27th and 8th. Well, the 29th was the parent child. And so me and my dad would play. Well, we won that one year. We got in a playoff, first playoff hole, alternate shot. My dad hit down the fairway. I hit a wedge to about three feet. The other two dads missed the birdie putt, and my dad made it. And I'm so excited. And he walks over to me. He goes, don't you ever do that to me again. I said, what? <laughs> he goes, hit it to 20 feet next time. He goes, you realize you hit it three feet. The only thing that can happen is if I miss this, I'm never going to hear the end of it from everybody at the club back home. So he was, he was, you know, he was trying to enjoy the moment, but he was so nervous, but we finally won. Um, and so, yeah, we, we did that a few years and played in the parent child at, at my home course yeah. and he would get nervous. You know, he didn't want to let me down, but I didn't care. Well, I, I, you know, it's interesting. There's several things that, that are, are parallels for us. Again, I, I was not. Uh, I was a decent player. In 1981, I was your, I was 15, and we were members at Ridgewood Country Club, and w- w- was playing in the father son with my dad. Now, my dad noticed that the reigning club champion was playing in it, 
but he wasn't playing with his son. He was playing with his father. So this man was my dad's age, and he was playing with his dad, who he thought he thought that that was wrong. He thought it should be for kids, mm-hmm. not not. And and by the way, that gentleman was the senior club champion. So my dad came over to me and he said, "We're beating them. <laughs> now I've got that tro- We won, <laughs> and that is the most. I'm the most proud of that. But I, we played first time I went to Pebble was 1993, and I was an assistant professional, and they had a pro division." So we fly out there. There are 128 teams, Webb, in this thing. We go into the, the lobby of the lodge, and we're getting registered. I'd never been there before. My mom was with us, so it was the three of us. The tournament was starting the day after Christmas. And so I said, where is, where is, where is the Pro Division flight like boards? Mm-hmm. And they said, she's back over there. So we walk over. We're the only ones in the flight. Because there was no other professionals playing with their dad. All we had to do was finish. We <laughs> we won a Waterford Crystal Trophy that's like that's this amazing. high. And I told when they called us up at the end, I said, if you can guarantee this field next year, we'll be back. <laughs> but those, I mean, doing that, that stuff with your dad. Yeah. Um, and you went to Augusta when you were 11 yep. with him. Yep. And you can remember every moment. Every moment. I remember, I remember watching... Um, I remember watching Billy Casper chip on 16. Uh, I remember uh, seeing, you know, that was Tiger Woods. That was the year he won. And you know, we went on a Monday. And so we I wanted to see everyone, but we camped out on 16. You know, we kind of did the the run walk you yeah, know, at yeah, Augusta. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you'll get arrested if you run. So we did the run walk. Uh, but I remember seeing the, the, the guys dressed in white with the 20-foot bamboo sticks walking down the 10th fairway. And that was when when I'm like, okay, this place is different. But yeah. I fell in love with Augusta. I fell in love with everything about it. The Masters. Um, I was just I was observing everything, and I couldn't wait to get back. Did you did when you went? Did you stay on the property? Uh, we did not. I actually ended up playing Augusta the next year as a 12 year old. Okay. So the head pro at our home course in Raleigh, Carolina Country Club. Uh, his name's Ted Kegel. Yeah, yeah. Before coming to Carolina, he was at Augusta. Um, and so Ted told me when I was about nine, when I started the game, he goes, when you get good enough at the game, I'm going to take you to Augusta. So he kind of gave me that as a little teaser. And so when I was 12, my dad and I went with Ted, played with a member, Haley Roberts, who's still a member. Um, and that was when the Scotty Cameron Terillium putter came out for the first oh, yeah. time, the one Tiger won with. Um, and I asked my dad, I said, Hey, will you get this for me? It was $285. My dad said, no way. I said, if I shoot 76 or better. Well, you get it for me. He goes, all right. He didn't think I was going to do it. Yeah. So I'm eight over going into 18, not going to do it. I hit from the members tees. I hit, I hit my drive up there. I got three wood in. And I said, dad, if I make birdie here, can I get the putter? He goes, sure. Hit a three wood to four feet. And when you're 12 and you're oh good at golf, gosh. Four, you don't miss four footers. Yeah. I missed it. I was so bummed. Didn't get the putter. So we get halfway back to Raleigh. My dad says, Hey, will you grab my, uh, my shoes out of the trunk. I got to change shoes. I got a blister. So I go in the trunk. There's the putter. Wow. He snuck it somehow without me seeing it. And, um, I just, you know, he didn't have to do that, but that was kind of my dad. He, he, he didn't want to see me disappointed and I would have been fine, but he wanted to do something special. And so that was my first, my first experience playing it. Um, and I loved it. I loved every minute. You know, when, when your father got sick and, and particularly at the end, I've read things about you talking about learning a lot about your father, mm-hmm. particularly when he was in hospice care, people coming in, sharing stories, and, and talking about how 
you know, he was a very humble person, mm -hmm. um, but but also very determined. Mm -hmm. And and you've been through some stuff, and and, and mm -hmm. I mean that it, it's all relative. I'm yeah. talking about the anchor band yeah. and and things like that. And if if you didn't have a lot of your father inside of you, do you think you've been able? You would have been able to make the type of pivots and adjustments in your professional life that you have. I don't think so because you know I've told people. I went from a very above-average putter on tour. If you look at my stats before the ban, I was always kind of 25 yeah. to 50th, so yep. above average. Um, and then they banned the belly putter and long, the anchored putter, and I go to one of the worst on tour for a couple years straight, like 180 to 200. And so there was definitely moments where I wanted to quit, but because of my dad, I knew I could never do that. Like I, I don't have that in me to quit because of him. Mm -hmm. You know, it was never an option with him. I remember asking when I was little, I said, Dad, if, if I go out and I'm going to shoot in the 90s in this tournament, like, can I withdraw? And he kind of got serious on me. He says, you can never, ever, ever quit. I don't care what you shoot. You know, the only time you're, you're going to withdraw is if you're hurt or sick, but not because you're playing bad. And so I had those kind of messages from him in my head during this time. And there was times when I did feel like I'm never going to win again. You know, I went from a Ryder Cupper and Presence Cup team and tour championship maker mm -hmm. to not even making it to Atlanta and not even close on these team events. And so it was, a, it was a gut check a number of times, but to your point, our parents are such influencers and I kept hearing my dad, those tireless days at the Quahala putting green, trying to figure it out, you know, that saying, dig it out of the dirt. Yeah. I, I just kept hearing my dad just say, keep going, you know, keep looking, keep finding, keep fighting. Um, and that was so satisfying to kind of come out of that with what I think is an even better method for me than a belly butter. Um, but yeah, without him, I think I could have quit. Um, it was miserable for a couple of years. Yeah. You know, I'd, I'd show up at tournaments and I'd be in the top five in ball striking, tee to green, and finish 50th, barely make the cut. And I just remember thinking, I don't want to keep doing this. Like, if you know you can't compete for a trophy, why are you playing? Right. Um, and so I just kept going, and so much thanks to my to my dad to kind of instill that in me. You know, the other person who I I assume, you know, had to keep you positive was Paul Tesori. Mm -hmm. And I, I've I've joked that at some point in your career he may hit a shot for you because the dialogue that you two have between each other <laughs> is so deep. Yeah. Uh, and I mean that because Paul's great at what he does, yeah. and and there's a relationship there uh, that is a brotherhood. There's yeah. no doubt about that. Uh, did you need him in your ear all those days convincing you that, that there was light? Because I don't know if without him, I, yeah. I don't know. Yep. All right, so we had a breakthrough. Um, he thought it might be the end of our relationship. I was never thinking that. He, <laughs> we got in a big argument on the golf course. This is Barclays, maybe 2016, the first playoff event. Yeah. Northern Trust, I guess it was. Well, I made the cut on the number, but I had nine three putts through the first two rounds. And I think just the tension of that, I got on him about something. We got in an argument and walking to my car, we thought we missed the cut at the time because we played in the morning. Um, I asked him, would he meet me you know, by my car? I want to talk to him. And I wasn't going to say anything about this is the end of our relationship. I was just going to – I really had this long apology about my putting. I felt like I needed to. Wow. Um, and so, honestly, I didn't see the emotion coming, but I guess I revealed how much I'd been kind of – that this emotion had been building. 
I broke down. Like I, I started sobbing and I think it was a result of just being so frustrated for two years or a year and a half. Cause I started a year early. I started the fall of 14 yeah. with a short putter. Um, and immediately Paul was so uh, kind about what I was saying. And, and I, I said, Hey, you know, honestly, what I've been thinking is you're a world-class caddy and part of me wants you to go work for someone else just because I want you to have a better bag. Um, and I told him that and he laughed. He's like, that's ridiculous. Like I'm not doing that. Um, but it was a, it was a wonderful moment for our relationship personally and professionally because I, I basically said, Hey, take the filter off. Tell me everything you wanted to tell me. And he basically told me, I think you're too close minded. I think you need to try this, this, and this. Hmm. I think you need to be more open to different techniques. I think you need to call guys who we know have struggled with putting, who have now kind of gotten over their struggles and are putting well, call them, like be a student. And I think up until that point, I was pretty stubborn, you know, wanting to figure it out. Um, but I walked away from that feeling so much better about the future. And I started trying different stuff. I called a couple of guys who have had putting troubles, who are still playing and putting really well. Um, but you know, it's amazing in life. You go through something like that. It was a hard, hard day, but it made Paul and I closer. Mm -hmm. Um, it made me go on this search for a different method, which I found. And I think without, you know, nine, three putts at, at that at Beth page black through two days, I might still be struggling. Um, and so I'm, I'm forever grateful for Paul, his role, his patience. Uh, and also, you know, he just reassured like, Hey, I'm not going anywhere. Like yeah. I'm with you. Like we're doing this together. Yeah. Uh, which was awesome because we had a couple of years straight where it was pretty, you know, it was pretty hard. Yeah. And I, I know that I, I think it was, the story was you were going to maybe Japan yep. to play. Yeah. And, and did he say to you, we need to, we need to make the change now. Yeah. So at the Ryder cup at uh, Glen Eagles, when we lost, we're back in the locker room. Paul's packing up my bag. He goes, hey, I have a thought. Because our, our next time we were going to meet was Dunlop Phoenix. Yep. He said, hey, what if we get ahead of this uh, putter ban a year early? The media is going to be all over a few of you guys come January 1st, 2016. What if you just go ahead and do it now? We haven't had our best year of putting. It'd be great. we got a lot of time off before Dunlop Phoenix. Go work on it. I said, perfect. Great idea. Day before I'm supposed to fly to Dallas and then Tokyo, I started getting nervous. I'm like, I don't know. This is going to be crazy. So I called Paul. I said, hey, we're going to go one more tournament. I'm hitting it great. It'd be great to win over there in Japan. I'm going to go with a belly putter. We'll show up in Hawaii with the short putter. He goes, buddy, I think it's a mistake. He goes, I think, I think it's good to work through some of these nerves. Like, let's do it. Yeah. I said, nah, I'm going to take the belly putter. So I get off the phone with him. I'm just kind of uneasy. And I tell my wife, like, what's going on? And I, as I'm telling her, I kind of, my golf bag catches my eye, and I see it. It's in the garage. And I just, I don't know where it came from. I had this moment. I'm like, if I break the putter, I can't take it. So I walk over to the bag. I look at my wife and I'm like, here it is. So I took it and I snapped it over my knee. She's like, what are you doing? I'm like, now I gotta, I gotta have a short putter. I don't have a backup. Yeah. Like I don't have a backup belly putter. So I, I'm forced to take the short putter now. <laughs> so I'm walking to the trash can outside in the driveway. And uh, she goes, don't throw it away. Like you won the US Open with that. We got to keep it. <laughs> so now it's in my trophy case in two pieces. But I felt like that was the only way I was actually going to do yeah. it. I mean, but it shows like I have a lot of sympathy for people who have anxiety in life. It doesn't matter, sports, whatever, because it's amazing how the anxiety made me feel. And like I didn't share it with anyone. I never told anyone. I tell my wife everything. 
I didn't even tell her that I had anxiety with putting until, you know, that day she saw it all kind of play out. But it was a wonderful moment for me because I felt like, okay, new chapter. Yep. I'm going to go figure it out. And um, so, yeah. The, you know, back in 2011, the early part of 2011, Mike Davis came into studio on Morning Drive. And, and, and the, toward the latter part of the interview, I asked him about the anchored stroke because it was becoming something that you could see that more players were starting to adopt. Mm -hmm. And and he gave, it wasn't a flippant answer, but it became a dubious answer because he said, we don't think it's a problem and nobody's won a major with it yet. Well, boom, end of 2011. Yep. Keegan wins the PGA. Yep. You win the U.S. Open the next June. And then Ernie Els wins the Open Championship. Yep. And then in 2013 in April, Adam Scott, Scott wins the Masters. Right. And all of a sudden, there's a career grand slam. Yep. And I really felt that, that there's no question the impetus was because of the optics of yep. the best players in the world using it. Yep. I, do you agree with that? I do. Yeah. At the time, I remember thinking, hey, I don't mind them banning it if you know five of the top ten putters in the world are using this style. But at the time... None of us were ranked in the top That's 20. That's right. Um, and so I thought it was a little bit of a panic by them uh, to do this. Um, because, I mean, even at the time, there might have been 10 to 12 guys only with that belly putter or long putter. Um, and, you know, at the time I was upset. I thought I, I disagree with the decision. But, again, I feel like it led me down a path of figuring out even a better method for me. Somebody asked me the other day, would you go back to the belly putter if it was legal? And I said, no, I finished – I think I finished fifth and 11th two years in a row, and I never cracked the top 10 in putting right. with a belly putter. So this is clearly a better method for me. But, you know, that always – it takes us back to who's got the power in the rules of the game, and it's the USGA, and they're driving it. And so, um, you know, I think the tour as a whole didn't really care about should we ban it or not. I think a few guys are always going to be vocal. we got to ban it. You know, they couldn't win without it. Um but, yeah, I was sitting on the pack, actually, in, I believe, 2011 when it first came up. Yeah. And at the time, the pack and commissioner said, like, it's not going to be a big deal. I don't think they'll do it. And I don't even know if we'll go along with it. Well, fast forward whenever it was, um, when, when they decided to, you know, the tour went with it. Yeah, I we had a meeting and, and Mike Davis was there and it was it was all kind of a debriefing on on the proposed rule change. And I specifically asked Peter Dawson, I said, Peter, you, this, this has happened in a short amount of time yeah. about the four major championships. And he said, that's completely coincidental. And I, I, <laughs> I wanted to say, come on, please, <laughs> that, that it's not. Right. Last thing about your putting. The thing that I've noticed, it, not only statistically are you much better and you make more putts, I think you're, you're more, your commitment mm -hmm. is, is like you go from your, your think box and mm -hmm. your process mm -hmm. to your execution mm -hmm. quicker now than you used to. Yeah. Yeah. That, and that has been on purpose because I, I hired a sports psych at the end of 2016, uh, Dr. John Silva. And what he's helped me, one, one of the biggest things that he's helped me see and I've gotten better in is, is being committed and no second-guessing, no last-minute thoughts. And so Paul and I developed this way of reading greens together. I'm a big believer if your caddy is a really good golfer, Paul's a great putter, two, two reads are better than one. Mm -hmm. And Paul and I have the system where I read it, and he reads it, and we combine our reads and go in the middle. Well, once we go, once I have that read, I don't even think about it again. 
You know, I've already stood over the ball in my routine to feel it because I used to have problems with I'd read it right edge, I'd get over the ball to hit the putt, and I'd feel like it's more break. So I'd either aim right or push it on purpose. Well, now I'll go ahead and do that in my routine. So when I get over the ball, I'm not even thinking about anything except committed to my line. And, um, yeah, to your point about being quicker, I always play better quicker. And I used to be a slow player. I got – I almost got the magic 10 bad timings my fresh, or freshman year, my rookie year, <laughs> which is a $20,000 fine. Didn't get 10, um, but now I'm way quicker, and I think that's part of the reason I've played better. Yeah. Uh, do you know Mike Juan at all? Have you been around him? I, I haven't got to know him at all. Okay. No. Um, because you won a USGA championship, people associate players with that, and, I, and you've always given your opinion about things. And when the women announced, uh, and Mike Juan, I had him on, and he, he kind of – was kind of foreshadowing about what was coming. And I think it's great that they're mm -hmm. getting the money that they're getting. Uh, and you said, first of all, I think it's great that they're getting that money. And then you also said, listen, I, I think they and the other major championships, if you look at what the players is paying mm -hmm. uh, their field, yep. that they need to follow suit. I and agree. I agree yeah. with you. You know how much their the money yeah. that these TV contracts are worth. And yeah. there's no reason why regular tour events have bigger purses than major championships. It doesn't make sense. No. It doesn't make sense. Yeah, I think, you know, I've talked to Jay Monahan about this, and I think the players is becoming even more special because of this. And I think every year we see the golf course gets better. The facility itself is amazing. And, you know, everybody says, should the players be a fifth major? I actually think it's in the perfect spot because we have World Golf Championships, we have regular events, we have majors. The players is kind of in, in its own light. And I think Jay is kind of – politely paving the way for these other majors to follow suit. I mean, mm -hmm. we're, we're playing for $20 million this year. And in his memo to the players, it was $20 million minimum, which only, I feel like, indicates that it's going to keep growing. Um, but the consensus from the players as a whole is we know what the Masters makes every year. We know what the U.S. Open makes. The revenue that these tournaments bring in. So the players kind of feel like, hey, like, we're not going to not play but these purses should reflect the, the revenue that you guys are bringing in a little bit more than they do right now. I mean, it, it's gonna, I think it's going to – we're really going to see a difference this year if, if a major championship purse is $12 million, but the players is 20 almost double. Right. Um, and it does bring excitement for the players. It brings excitement for people watching. I mean, the guy who makes the final putt of the players this year who wins, he'll have the greatest – the biggest check ever uh, in the game of golf. That's pretty special. Um, I don't know exactly what the number is. Three. It's it's north of three. Three. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I think that brings excitement to the tournament. Um, and again, it's not about the money uh, fully. We know that, but uh, I think the players just kind of feel like, hey, can you reflect a little bit about the revenue you're bringing in in the purse? Right. Uh, they're not asking. You know, we're not asking for the moon, but um, it would be it would be great to see kind of the majors trend the direction the players has been going. You know, I asked Jay Monahan because th this comes up every year: is the players a fifth major? Is mm -hmm. the players a fifth major? And I, my question to him was, do you want to be known as the fifth major? And he kind of looked at me, and then he kind of appealed to, you know, his marketing people. And I said, Jay, my point is, you're either a major or you're not. Mm -hmm. Why would you want to be the fifth major? Yeah. 
just, I mean, there, there's, there's no, look, if people want to say, well, this is the most important major and then, look, you win a major, you win a major. And I, I don't, I've, I've always thought that that was a backwards way of trying to elevate the tournament. Mm -hmm. You're the player's championship. And if, if, at some point it gets allocated this status and look the evolution of major championship golf has changed through time yeah. nobody knew what the masters was in its infancy yeah. the western open was considered to be as significant as any tournament outside of the u.s open the open championship and the pga just be what you are yeah. which is the best strongest field in in the world yeah. annually and and like you said I think it being back in March, I don't know how you feel. I think that's where it should be. I do too. I mean, I, I think it makes sense with the schedule with Honda, with Arnold Palmer, uh, then the players. You kind of you get that Florida feel. But I think a couple other things too in the players is the, the PGA Tour players all kind of know and agree that it's the hardest field to, to beat. You know, you got the best players in the world right there. Whereas the majors, you have qualifiers, which is great in its own way. Um, Masters is a small field at 90. Maybe, you know, you could say Masters is the hardest major to win in the sense of the pressure. Correct. U.S. Open, the setup. Uh, the Open Championship's the oldest. It has that allure. And the PGA is special in its own way uh, with PGA pros and, and you know, the, the best players in the FedEx Cup at that point in time can qualify in, which is awesome. But the players, you have the strongest field and also the finish. I feel like that's... It's hard. It's 17 and 18 are iconic. It's hard to close the, the door there. I mean, thankfully, I had a, a few shot lead. I doubled 18. But I mean, you've seen guys come out and birdie a couple coming in or kind of screw it up. And uh, that's why I think, again, the players is building in its reputation every year. Um, and I think that's a favorite for a lot of players. Yeah. And, and I will say this too. I love the players in the sense of the golf course. You have bombers win there. You have short it hitters. It doesn't discriminate against anybody. It doesn't. It's you'll see guys. I mean, I've played with you know Dustin there, um, you know Rory. You'll see different players hit on eighteen. I hit three iron off the tee or five wood. They're hitting driver. I mean, it's amazing how many times throughout the day you're thinking it could be three clubs off this tee. Right. Um, so it, it, it's it's one of my favorite tournaments. Even before I won. I never really had a chance to win there, but I always love going. I think the couple things about it, then I agree with you that I think it is, it's standing by itself. I, I think the whole thing about the fifth major is kind of a tired argument. Mm -hmm. um, first of all, it doesn't discriminate against anybody. The golf course is provocative. Mm -hmm. And even guys who have won, nobody really has a sterling record over the course Correct. of their career Correct. because there's like no comfort in being no. there. Like you can be great for one week, one year. And if you look at it of your generation, Sergio has got a really good mm -hmm. record. Mm -hmm. He's won it. He's been close a couple other times. He's got a number of top tens, but there are guys who have won it who have a rash of missed cuts as well. Correct. They just, they, 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 it may be one week, and it's interesting that, and look, you've won on, you, you, you almost won the Zurich Classic, which is a Pete Dye golf course. Um, you won the RBC Heritage. John Cook told me, he said, it took him a while, but the thing about P-Dye golf courses is that he, you have to be confident that you have to play toward trouble mm -hmm. because that provides you the best angle on the next shot. Yeah. Um, do you share that feeling? I do, I do. I mean, and Pete Dye, I mean, Paul and I always talk about the fourth hole at TPC Sawgrass. It's, uh, I think I it's 390 hole. yards, yeah. uh, but the scoring average is over par every year, and usually it's in the top five or six hardest holes of the week. And I feel like where Pete is a genius is the fairway's not that tight, but if you do miss the fairway left in the rough, 
you're now try, having to hit it over water to a small grain. If you hit it right, you're in the fairway bunker, easy to hit it fat in the water. There's so many doubles and even worse there throughout the week. But that's an example of, yeah, if you're going to hit it offline a little bit, you're dealing with trouble. You're dealing with water. You're dealing with deep bunkers. Um, and, you know, talking about feeling uncomfortable as a golfer, his golf courses make you feel very uncomfortable mm-hmm. often. I mean, you can't relax at TPC Sawgrass. There's some courses. I mean, Augusta is so hard in, in a very different way. But there, you get to some tee boxes there. You're like, okay, you know, this is a, very pleasing. This is a wide fairway. Yeah. Even if I miss the fairway, I'm going to have a look, you know, hitting the green. But not so at TPC Sawgrass. You, um, you know, the the purse increase at the players, uh, the player impact program, uh, the increase of the FedEx Cup bonus pool, mm-hmm. and what the the winner makes. All that stuff has gotten bumps in mm-hmm. the last eighteen months. Uh, I don't think it's coincidental that that they they see his potential threat that's out there mm-hmm. as far as this rival league. Um, I, you know, I've I've asked a lot of guys who've come on the show, and they've all been pretty candid that look, competition's good, mm-hmm. uh, the threat is real. Mm-hmm. Um, what is your feeling about about guys doing this? Mm-hmm. I mean, do you understand why some guys will do this? Yes. My assumption is that you're not doing this. Yeah, I understand the the appeal on paper is it seems like for most of the guys is uh, a huge contract, guaranteed money. You know, we're hearing people say that a lot, guaranteed money. Um, but you know, it's funny to me that the best players in the world are talking about guaranteed money. They're so good at golf. They're guaranteed money as well. You know, they're not, these are the guys who they're talking about guaranteed money. They're not worried about missing cuts that often. Um, their contracts off the golf course are huge. Um, I've been so pleased at what commissioner and company have done with the tour in all these things. I mean, Comcast, regular season Comcast rewards has doubled. I mean, all these things, uh, we're seeing, Yes, a little bit in response to, you know, the other leagues that are out there, the potential threats, but also I think they're they're wanting to put more money in the players' pockets. And I told somebody yesterday, I said, it is the best time in the history of the tour to be on the tour mm-hmm. with the opportunities that we have, the venues we're going to. Um, so, yeah, for me personally, I'm definitely listening. I'm, I'm trying to learn about these other couple of leagues um, but the PJ Tour has given me an incredible life. Uh, and I, I feel like we have a commissioner right now who's responding in a way that he's looking after what's best for the players, what's also best for the tour's partners, the people who are really responsible for us being able to play for what we play for. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see what happens. I do know this has been um, a threat for many years with different groups. This seems like the most uh, – real opportunity for a different league. Yeah. Um, but again, I'm committed to the PGA tour. Uh, I love, I love what I do. I love where we go. And there's little things that I love. I mean, I love playing Augusta and driving to Hilton head. I mean, those traditions you built with your family, um, are, are really fun to think about. Um, and look, we'll see what happens. I, I know that, uh, you know, the initial first tournament I've been hearing about is going to happen at some point. Um, in the near future, but uh, we'll see. The uh, the President's Cup being at your home club, um, I, look, it, it, the international side hasn't, they don't win, but my God, it's been really, really competitive. And I actually think, and I, I this was something Jaime Diaz and I had this conversation about the future of the international side. They've always been good, but if you look at now, like Trevor's got a lot of choices. They've yes, got serious depth. Uh, they've got youth on their side. 
Um, you know how electric that atmosphere is going to be uh, at Quail. That place is going to be lathered up. I think it's going to be a great week. Um, how big of a goal is it for you to be on that side as far as all the other things you want to do this year? Where does that rank? Uh, I mean, I would say it's right there at the top with uh, making it Atlanta. I didn't make Atlanta this past year. I missed it. I love that golf tournament. Um, but the President's Cup has been, you know, I've been on three losing Ryder Cups, three winning President's Cups. Winning a team event is about as fun as I've had in the game of golf. And then, yes, like you said, to play for Davis, I played for him in, in Medina, uh, 2012 at Medina. Yep. That was a dream come true. He was my favorite golfer my whole life. He went to UNC, which – I know I went to Wake, but I was a UNC fan growing up. <laughs> uh, and, you know, Quail Hollow is near and dear to my heart, Dowd's heart. You know, we're raising our kids right there. Um, and so I, I love the the thought of being on that team. It would, it, like you said, Charlotte's an amazing sports town. The, the Wells Fargo tournament is shown to be one of the best tournaments of the year. Great fans, knowledgeable golf fans. Um, but, yeah, like you said, I mean, Trevor's got – I mean, you're talking Cameron Smith, Sung J.M., uh, Joaquin Neiman. You're talking about these guys who are top 20 players, top 10 players in the world. Abraham Answer has yep. become elite. Abraham Answer, Hideki Matsuyama. Yeah. Uh, they got a great team. So, um, And it know. looks like Jason Day, and, and it was encouraging to see him yep. play well at Farmers. He's got a good record there. Yep. You know, I think Adam Scott's still got another side on him. Yep. Mark Leishman is a really good player. Look, they're, they're – not to mention you got a couple Canadians – I, I think that they're going to be loaded. I do, too. I yeah. do, too. And I think Trevor knows that, and he's excited. Um, you know, in Australia, playing for Tiger, we, we I think people have forgotten a little bit that we were down by a good margin going into Sunday, and we needed a really good day. Yep. But Tiger was an amazing captain. Saturday night, you know, classic Tiger, no panic, short speech. You know, he said, you know, we're going to be fine if we all go do our job. You know, a little Bill Belichick-esque. <laughs> and he did his job, you know, he, yeah. he, he went out early first off and got it done and uh, set the tone. And, you know, that was so fun to be. I never would have dreamed as a kid that I get to play on a President's Cup team and be He's the captain. Tiger Woods, yeah. who's, who's going to play and go three and oh for the week. Yeah. Um, so that was really cool to be a part of. So I, I've, I've got my, my appetite for these team events. And so, yeah, to your to your question, it, it's a top goal for me, especially uh, being in my backyard. Yeah, you know, the Tiger thing, first of all, I, I said this to Justin Thomas not long after, he's going to go, I think he's going to go down as, as a, you know, a real historical fact and trivia question. Um, he's the only guy who, who is played with a guy who was a playing captain mm -hmm. in the President's Cup who happened to be Tiger. Mm -hmm. um, and that week reminded me a lot of him at Zozo. And I talked to Tommy Fleetwood last spring. Tommy was paired with him the first two rounds at that event. And after he made, like, he started bogey, bogey, bogey. And he said, he said, I grew up my whole life wanting to witness that. Mm -hmm. And he said it was the most extraordinary display he'd ever seen. And when the round ended, I think he shot 64 the first day. He, he, he said that was, he went up to Tiger, shook his hand, and he said, that was incredible. And Tiger's response was, did you like that? <laughs> and, and it was like, you've seen, you've seen those things. And I thought at Royal Melbourne, it was high, low, it was left, right. Like yeah. all those windows were open. Yeah. It was artistry at yeah. its finest. Yeah. When, when he does that stuff, and you've seen it because you've mm -hmm. been out there a long time, 
What, what's it like to witness that up close to somebody who's a contemporary? You know what's remarkable is you play with them, and I, the older I've gotten, the more I do like to pay attention. I mean, I, I'm not I'm not ever going to drive it like Rory McIlroy. So when I play with them, I'm paying attention. Like, we're witnessing arguably the greatest driver of the ball ever, him or Greg Norman, a lot of people yeah. say, maybe Ben Hogan. Um, and so I do love to to watch and, and try to learn. And playing with Tiger, I mean – I played with him. The earliest I played with him was 2012. Um, my first time getting paired with him was Doral. Um, and I do think he's able to do things that nobody else can do. Um, and we were you and I were talking earlier about the, the things he must deal with every week and how that – how he's been able to overcome that and play through that and deal with that. Obligations that nobody media, else has. Correct. Every day, eyes on him. I even asked him. I got paired with him at the Wells Fargo in 2012, first two days, and I asked him why he plays so little – you know, 15 to 17 events a year. And uh, he says, because, you know, he, he mentioned part of what he has to go through is so draining that he can only do that so many times a year and still be competitive at a high level. Um, but I've loved to, to – I've loved my time with Tiger away from getting paired with him, you know, messing around on the putting green, the chipping green. Uh, one of my favorite memories was 2013 President's Cup. You know, Jack's got the green so fast, chipping green's rolling at probably a 13. And I'm just killing time. So I'm hitting these, like, spinners. We're into the wind. It's about a 30-yard pitch. I'm ripping them back 30 feet. So he comes over. He goes, what are you doing? I said, I'm just seeing how much I can spin it. I said, you want to have a spinning contest? And you could tell, like, for him, <laughs> it was like, you know, he's Tiger Woods. But he kind of wants to have this spinning contest. So we start doing this. And he's laughing. I'm laughing. Other guys start joining in. And then I'm 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 doing this cut spin and I'm beating him. But then every time it's his pick, he does this hook spin, which I can't hook spin it. So he still jokes with me about you know if he walks by me on the chipping green, he goes, "Let me see that hook spinner," and I can't do it. <laughs> but that was he ended up telling me he goes, "That's that's about the most fun I've had in a long time at a golf course." Yeah, you know, just because the kid in him came out and but that's he's an artist. He loves shaping shots and seeing the ball do different things, and um, it's been a joy to you know get to play with him to, like I said, to be on his team. And I think what's remarkable about 2019 in Australia was he picked himself, which we all wanted him to. Yep. But he had that pressure as a captain and that he's a captain's pick and he goes out and delivers three and up yeah. um, while still being a very vocal and um, a present captain. You, you mentioned how much you enjoy the team part of it. The thing that I've noticed and, and other people have too, is that you're willing to play with anybody and, and at times it's like, well, and I, I'm joking about this, like, uh, let Webb be Bubba's babysitter for the week. Um, and, and I think that's a real thing. Like, there, there are certain guys who are, more, who, have, who are more malleable. Like, just put me with anybody. I'm fine with yeah. that. Um, why do you think that is, that, you, that you're adaptable to anybody? I think at every team event, you have your guys who are really good buddies, like yeah. a Jordan Spieth, Justin Thomas, sure. or a Patrick Reed and Jordan Spieth, who have played together enough in practice rounds. Xander Schauffele and Patrick Cantlay is turning out to be a really strong pairing. They're friends. They're, they're familiar. Their games might be different. But you always have that, what's more important? Our games are similar or our personalities, we get along well. Um, and I think both matter, and they're both important. You know, I got paired with – or I wanted to play with Patrick Reed in Australia. He wanted to play with me. We play the same golf ball. We play golf the the pretty much the same way. We shape shots both ways. We hit it low. We hit it high. Um, and I love playing with Patrick. He loves playing with me. And we are like, hey, let's play together. 
Um, and you know what? Well, he and I have talked since about Australia. We went 0-3 together. That wasn't an easy week. Now, look, no. he was coming off the, the Albany situation. Yeah. And, and again, here you are to, to be the good soldier and step in there. And it was, it was, it was, un, it was awkward at times. Yeah. And I think people assumed that that was kind of the take was, you know, Patrick and I were, were playing together. You know, people were wondering, you know, why are y'all playing together three times in a row if you lost your first match or your first couple? Question or the 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 reason was, we went out in the practice rounds and it they Tiger told us we were probably going to get paired together an alternate shot. Well, we went out in the first couple of practice rounds and we were firing on all cylinders. We're playing a friendly match against a couple other guys. We're playing awesome. Um, my game's solid, his game's solid, and it seemed like a great fit. Our yardages were very similar. I get along with Kessler. Kessler and Paul get along. Um, and we go out, and I tell people, you know, the first match, we played great. We got beat. Um, then we go out against Leishman and Answer. They played awesome. And then we actually didn't play well at all in our third match. We were kind of dead. Um, but, yeah, that was a tough week, I think, for him to go through what he went through. I didn't realize it was going to be as bad as it was, you know, the comments. Sure. Um, but, again, I really enjoy playing with Patrick and – I wish we could have played better because I think he and I could make a great team one day. Yeah. Who is right now, obviously, you know, John, John, it's weird. He's had such a, he's had such a productive stretch, but other than the U S open, look, he shot the lowest score at the tour championship, but it's, but, but it's, you know, it's, it's kind of handicapped. Yeah. Um, and then obviously what happened at the Memorial, do you think that he is a generational talent? Do you think that at his best, he's better than anybody or would you pick somebody else? Best at their best. Um, that's a great question. Uh, I think you could argue a few guys. I think I think Rom has shown he's he's going to play great more times than anyone else out there. If you want to measure it that way, um, it's so rare when he misses a cut. It's even rare when he doesn't finish in the top fifteen on tour. Um, I think there's no more confident golfer in the world than him. I think he's always confident. He always thinks he can do everything as good as anyone. I do think maybe what he has over a couple of the other power players is I think he's a better putter than maybe a few other guys. Mm -hmm. um, but, yeah, I am, I'm one of those. I, I think if I'm John, I'm counting Atlanta as a win. And I've, asked, I've gone back and forth with the tour on this. I, I want them to count that as a win. It should be an official victory. Um, not just world ranking he gets his credit, but nobody knows that. It should be a win. He was the lowest score after 72 holes of the whole field, um, and he doesn't get credit for it. And so, you know, the tour, you know, they haven't changed that. And, again, you know, FedEx is an amazing sponsor. I think all it would take is, and not to take away from the FedEx Cup champion, just a literal five-second congrats to the individual champion this week, John Rahm, on four great days of golf. Back to Patrick Cantley, who won the, the FedEx. Correct. Cup. Yeah. Five seconds. Because um, as a player, we all see, we all want to know who won the four day yeah. event. We care about Patrick Cantley and the FedEx Cup champ. Absolutely. I mean, that's the whole reason we're there. But it's also good to know who came out on top this week for the four days. Right. You know, I, I, the year before that change was made was the year Tiger won. Mm -hmm. And he would not have won Correct. had that change been instituted. Can you imagine with him getting his 80th win, if people had to try to explain, well, yeah, he had the lowest score, but he didn't win. Right. Th that would have been, I mean, people who, who kind of casually follow golf web would have been like, that's the dumbest thing imaginable. Correct. Yeah. 
Yeah. You know, so uh, look, it, they were fortunate that that change was not instituted the prior year. Right. Because that day will go down as it's one of the great days, great days in golf history. Yeah. Right. No question about it. Um, last couple things. As far as looking at, at this year, having won a U.S. Open, having won a players, you always want to win those events. Is, is the Masters the, the thing that you want the most? Yes, for yeah, sure. Yeah. That's the one. That's the one I've been dreaming about since you know I was 11. I went there for the first time. It's you know the one I have an eight footer. You know, when it's getting dark, my mom and dad are telling me to come to the car. I'm putting an eight footer, win the Masters. That's the one, and I'm excited about the Masters the last few years because I feel like, not that I figured it out, but I know how to be successful there now. And I didn't my first few Masters. I realize, and Phil Mickelson's as good as anyone at this. Augusta gives you a safe side to miss it on every hole. And it is never forgiving when you short side. Um, and so it, it, I think my stubbornness, lack of discipline maybe, showed itself too long there. But I finally realized I, I made the cut in, I want to say, 2016, 2017, on the number. I called Pauly Friday night. I said, I'm so sick of coming to Augusta and sweating the cut out every year. Uh, I said, what are we going to do this weekend? Like, we got to change something. He just said, I think, I think we're making too many mistakes uh, short-siding. Like, I don't care what we shoot this weekend. I don't care what we finish. Let's miss it on the correct side every time we miss a shot. And I said, okay. So we were committed to that. And I think I shot maybe two under Saturday, four under Sunday, or mm -hmm. vice versa. But I finished 20th, which at the time was my best finish at Augusta. And the, the light bulb went off. I'm like, okay, I'm okay, I can't wait to get back here next year. Yep. And the next year I had a better finish. Uh, I think I finished, think you finished fifth. Didn't yeah, you? fifth, yeah. and then tenth and twelfth. Yeah. So I've had I've had a good run, but it's only because of uh, that kind of change of of playing smarter. And so for for all the reasons, uh, wanting to win the Masters. I mean, I love it. Wednesday at the Masters, my favorite golf day of the year. I got you know my wife. Well, and you five had your dad carry for you the one yep. year. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. He got diagnosed with uh, Louis body dementia in. Uh, I guess he got diagnosed in. 2012 maybe um but by the time he caddied you know it had already taken effect yeah. but he was still there still enjoyed it but that was kind of a, a last hurrah of a, a memory with him and mm -hmm. it was a wonderful day my whole family sisters brothers came yeah. it was awesome you know I, the the thing about missing you know adam scott said it he said i i spent so much so many years trying to be so precise on where to hit it that I was not focused enough on where to miss it. Correct. And and he said that, and, and the truth is that he had 30 putts in that final round in 2013. He just, he would ball struck his way to winning yeah. the Masters. Yeah. He just hit it. And first of all, he didn't make anything that day. I'm thinking, he's not going to win. Right. Like he can't, he, he literally can't wish anything in. Right. He just kept hitting such good shots. Yeah. But I agree with you that it, if you figure out you know, short-sighting yourself, I don't think there's a golf course on the planet that it is, is more penal if you short-side yourself than that golf course. Oh, it's brutal. And, and the beauty of Augusta is if you look at the winners over the years, not one guy has won the Masters who's an okay ball striker. You've had plenty of winners who are average to below average putters. Mm -hmm. Everybody always talks about you got to be a great putter. You really don't. you got to be a great ball striker. Um, because it's a ball striker's golf course. There's the greens are so fast and they're so undulating. It's hard to go out and just make everything. But a guy who's going to ball, like you said, Adam Scott, the final round, he won because of the way he hits the golf no ball. No question. Um, and so that's kind of that's kind of nice knowing that that hey, I want to show up. I want my tee to green game to be solid and strong. And um, 
I'm obviously below average in length, and length always helps, but I, I feel like I'm long enough to still get to the par fives. Um, and, you know, the, the par threes, I don't mind, you know, they're, they're mid-irons, fours a, a longer iron, but I feel like I have a game that can play well there. Yeah. All right, let me get you out of here with these five quick questions. Um, who's the most stylish golfer of all time? Arnold Palmer. I agree. Yeah. You wore a cardigan the final round of the U.S. Open in 2012. <laughs> Where is the cardigan gone in your wardrobe? I mean. I know. I mean. It's a good look. I'll talk to Foot Joy, see if they can bring it back. <laughs> I like the card. Nobody rocked a cardigan better than, than Mr. Palmer did. He was awesome. He yeah. was awesome. All right. The best course you've never played. Best course I've never played. Uh, I've heard amazing things about Friar's Head. I've not played it, and I got an invite. I, go, I usually go there every August to play in a little thing. Uh, it's called the 24 Hours at National, which is one of the funnest places in the world. And I've heard that Friar's Head is is off the charts great. Yeah. It, you've played Pine Valley. I have. Okay. Uh, have you played Sand Hills in Nebraska? I haven't played Sand Hills. Heard great things Mecca. about Sand Hills. Incredible. Is there any other place that you want to go there that you haven't played? No, the, the bucket list places, I would say, were three. Were Augusta, uh, Pine Valley, and Pebble Beach. Okay. Um, and I got to play – I played Pine Valley with my dad as well and played Pebble for the first time as a rookie on the PJ Tour. And that was a place I've told people, no matter what people tell you, the stories, even the pictures can't do it justice till you get there. Yeah. You know, and you see – you see the Pacific Ocean. Yeah. You haven't been to Bandon, have you? I haven't been to Bandon. See, for a guy who loves golf, at some point you have to do that because they have it down like clockwork. I, I played, before Sheep Ranch was open, I went out there and they have a solstice event. It's the longest day of the year. And they have a group of people who play all four courses in the same day. Oh, wow. So it was me, Jay Billis, uh, and two other buddies. And we started at 545 and we finished on... on Bandon Dunes at, at, it was like 10 of 10. And then we played 36 the next day and 36 the next day. Uh, that was, but could, could you, you would walk love it. after three no, days? No, it was absolutely, I, I, was, I was shot. And I changed, I changed caddies after 36 holes. Like the caddies changed, but I, and we walked. Kept going. It was 28 miles. Oh my word. Yeah. All right. Um, the worst shank you've ever seen that wasn't yours. Oh, that wasn't mine. I have plenty to go <laughs> no, off you of. Do. I saw the one you hit at Medina in 2012. That's the only one I've witnessed in person. Kevin Kisner says the worst shot he's ever seen and definitely the worst shake he's ever seen was me at Sony uh, two years ago on the 11th hole. I almost hit the Kahala Hotel. I hit a provisional because I assumed I was out of bounds. And I go over there and I had plenty of room. I hit it on the green, had 12 feet for par, made bogey. And Kevin said... He'll never forget that shot. I said, Kevin, me neither, buddy. <laughs> so you've never seen anybody else hit a shank that you uh, can recall? I'm sure I have. It's hard I, It's hard to recall in the moment. Actually, you know what's funny? P us PJ Tour players, we'll shank bunker shots or like a pitch more than people realize. Yeah. You know, we got that bunker shot. The face is so open. Oh, yeah. You know, and we're trying to go get it. Um, I've done that plenty of times. Steve Wheatcroft at Houston it was kind of like a half shank. He, like, on the 18th hole, he had a chance to win. And he pretty much hit a shank out of that greenside bunker to yeah. the right. Um, but I, I saw, I th was it the sixth hole where you hit the shank at Medina? Uh, eighth hole. Eighth hole. Yeah. Yeah, I witnessed that one. Oh, yeah. So if we have time, <laughs> i got to tell this real quick. So 
I hit my shank, and my first thought was not I just did this at the Ryder Cup or not millions of people are watching and not I got to walk through 10,000 people yes. to go find this ball. I thought, okay, this is near the fourth tee box. I'm doing the math. I'm like, Tiger's last off. He's the anchor position. He's probably going to be around the fourth tee. I'm like, this. he'll never let me live this down. If he sees me, he's going to know I'm on the eighth hole, but what am I doing over here? Find the ball, hit it, no Tiger. I'm so relieved. We <laughs> lose the Ryder Cup, and we're in the locker room after the trophy presentation, and Tiger calls me over, and he's like, man, it was a rough day, yada, yada, yada. He's like, that wind was tricky out there, wasn't it? And I'm like, <laughs> I guess so. I'm like, why is he talking about this? He goes... You know, we get to eight, and we had it straight left to, to right. Where would you guys have the win? And I see him. He's I'm standing up. He's sitting down, and I see him kind of look up at me, and I can see him smiling out of my peripheral vision. And I just look at him, and he just starts laughing. I'm like, gosh, I didn't think you knew about it. I'm like, the only person I didn't want to know is you. And he's like, oh, I heard about it. <laughs> All right, the, uh, the skill you have that nobody knows about. Some people have seen it because I do it on the range. Okay. But – I have a I have an ability to hit a flop cut driver with like crazy precision. Like I will say this because I love Paul. I beat him in a wedge contest. I use driver and he used pitch wedge. Oh come on! Yeah. So I'm I'm just dreaming of the day on tour when I'm in about 55th place and we get to about 160 150 yard par three and I can do it. That's that's pretty special. All right, last thing, and and you're not one to to use profanity, but what is your favorite cuss word or phrase on the course? <laughs> uh, that's a great question. Uh, favorite cuss word on the golf course? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> you don't have anything I, that you go to? No. I mean. Westwood does, but he couldn't even say the word. And I'm glad he didn't. I'm, I can talk negatively to myself, you know, tell myself that, you know, I stink at golf and all this. But yeah, I don't know if I have a favorite. Who customer. is then? With that being said, who is the best, like low talking, like negative self talker <laughs> out there? Uh, probably Pat Perez. Really? He he's one of my favorite people on tour. My favorite people to play with. And part of the reason I love him is because you never have to know what he's thinking, even yeah. if it's about himself. If he hits a bad shot or a bad putt, he just starts talking to himself. You know who is underrated, and, and you wouldn't probably think it, you know this, Bill Haas. Like, Bill thinks he stinks. Right. And, like, he'll, he'll, I've heard him say, like, I'm the worst player on tour. Yep, I've heard him say that. And, he, and, and he's a FedEx Cup champion. He's won <laughs> six times. He is really hard on himself. Yeah, he is. And he's always been that way. Yeah. All right. It's good to see you. Thanks, Gary. Play well today. Thanks for having Win me. Win the money. I will. Thank All you. right. All right. That is Webb Simpson. We appreciate his time coming in studio here on Five Clubs. Uh, also, if you don't know, uh, Jay Billis' first show with Andy Roddick dropped today. Uh, so make sure you watch that. And Gil Hance's first show is coming within the next week. Trevor Immelman is the next guest on Five Clubs. We'll see you next time.